Welcome. Uh, I'm Ron Cluzet, and uh, this is the seminar <coughs> that has been titled A Voice Behind You. That's because I have a fairly heavy travel schedule, and um, I didn't turn in those titles on time to Philip, so he invented that uh, title. He says, I think this is what you're going to be talking about. And uh, so when I gave that to him, this is really what it is, listening to God for real. The various session titles are correct, uh, in, in, in we're in the ballpark anyway. Uh, in order to tie that, let me just read that beautiful verse alluded to <coughs> in the title in your program. Isaiah chapter 30. You know this story in Isaiah, right? 750 years before Christ. <coughs> this is... Um, about 100, 150 years before the Babylonian captivity, the Israelites never ever thought they would be forsaken, in their view, by God because of the idolatry. They recognized that they were not following God. God was telling them, you know, I'm going to let you reap the consequences and so forth and so on. He used um, prophet after prophet after prophet. And when it finally came, it's like cancer. Um, everybody knows that happens to somebody, to other people, or a tragic accident. And when it happens to you, you're devastated, or you're saying, "Wow, how could this happen?" Well, that's exactly what happened with Judah and Israel. And so we'll pick it up here in verse 18, Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. God is trying to anticipate what this great, this, this very bitter pill lesson, which is the captivity of Babylon, will do for them. God longs to be very gracious to you, and therefore He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a, good, is a God of justice. How blessed are all who, those who long for Him. All people in Zion, inhabited in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you. At the sound of your cry, he, when he bears it, he will answer you. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. In other words, God wants to give him messages of hope and encouragement in spite of the fact that they are in the midst of absolute devastation, you know, due to their fault, but anyway. And then verse 21. A relevant verse. And your ears will hear a, vo a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. So the amazing thing about God. Is that <clears throat> the people of Israel had been. Rebellious. And uh, stubborn. You know the famous Old Testament expression. Stiff necked. Then there's, they're not willing to bow down. They, their necks are stiff. <coughs> you know? And, uh, and because of that, they are reaping terrible consequences. And God saying, now he's saying, <coughs> but look, there's a better day coming. In spite of all of what you have done, I have better things for you. And, and I will keep speaking to you through my spirit. It will be like a voice behind you who will tell you exactly where to go. That to me is amazing. Because here is God who has been forsaken by His own people. Here is God who has been 
uh, neglected, who has been disobeyed. They have not listened to his voice, and yet God says, I will still speak to you, and if you listen yet again, you will know exactly where to go. That's a, that's a beautiful thing, and so we're going to be talking a little bit about how to listen to God's voice and, um, in this seminar, but let's, let's uh, pause for a moment and have prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for GYC. Thank you so much for this convention that brings together thousands of young adults with a desire to count with the mission of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the challenges that we meet. Thank you for the, the situations we find ourselves in because we recognize that in spite of the fact that sometimes we do not like them, you intend to use the, those situations just to be, to work through us and to work on us so that we can receive a blessing and be a blessing to others. We thank you for this seminar and we pray, Father, that your holy angels may delight to be in this place. We have very few chairs left, but the angels don't need chairs. And we thank you that your promise is that your presence will be with us. And I pray, Father, that you guide us in our conversation, in our, in our learning today, in our questions. I pray especially that the Holy Spirit may speak to us directly, individually. You know exactly what we need to hear more and that is more important than what I need to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Because of that lack of a clicker, I am not going to be as free uh, with this, but let's, uh, let me just say a word about this seminar so you have a little bit of an idea. There are some wonderful seminars being offered, and I don't want you to be, you know, to be deprived of, of, of some other good ones, but I, I want you to know something about this one. The sessions, the six sessions are in sequence, and so you'll see a, a <laughs> certain momentum. A, a, a session four makes more sense after you have heard the first three and so forth and so on. Um, there is not going to be a PowerPoint available or handouts available, and that is for a variety of reasons. One of them is the kinds of, you know, the pictures and copyright issues and things of that nature. I. Uh, my hope is that we are able to um, put this on one of our websites. I'm director of the Evangelism Institute for the Division. That's what NATI stands for. North American Division Evangelism Institute. Um, that's one of the institutes at the seminary. Thank you for trying. Appreciate that. Uh, that's one of the uh, institutes at the seminary. So I teach there full time. I'm in addition uh, uh, ministerial secretary for the whole division, so I really have two or three jobs that sometimes feels like five or six. Um, but I'm happy, I'm happy to be here, and we might be able to put this in the future there, so check with some regularity as to what might be available there. My goal here with this seminar is to let God speak to, to you through what is going to be shared. There's going to be a number of stories, a number of references to Scripture, um, uh, it, you know, 
I, I really believe that God's Spirit can speak to us. And each of you come with a different set of circumstances to this place, trying to know and understand God's will for your life. The, the seminar, I'll be honest with you, the seminar was designed uh, at the beginning uh, for a prayer. There are a few chairs, uh, three or four chairs that are available still. Um, the seminar was designed originally for a prayer conference. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to talk on a prayer conference about listening to God instead of talking to God? That's basically what we do with prayer, right? And so what, what if we really learn to listen to God? And so that, that's the original thing, and that's how, how it started. Uh, they'll be singing. We're not going to do singing in this first session. We're going to get acquainted a little bit. And then the second session, we're going to do some singing together. And I think that the Lord is going to bless that too. Is that all right? If you don't feel like singing, you don't have to. You know, It's not like I'm going to have you walk out of here if you don't sing. So let's talk about this one. Does God still speak today? You don't mind if I take my... Yeah, but B Michelle would mind because I have the microphone there. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to leave this here. All right. Does God still speak today? And we're going to be basing that based in, in, in John 10. We're going to explore John 10 in a little bit, uh, in, a, in, a, in a few minutes. Let me begin with this story. You've heard of Hudson Taylor, right? How many of you have heard or read anything from Hudson Taylor? Oh, not very many. Hudson Taylor was uh, probably the most famous missionary in China. He started the, the China Inland Mission. Uh, he was, a, he was a, an almost doctor. In other words, he never really finished medicine, uh, but he practiced it the best he could out there. And he had a passion for souls. Uh, after having been there for about 17 years, he had a reconversion experience, and he became very effective, whereas before he was quasi-effective. Um, he was on a, on a trip to China, uh, one of his many trips, but it was in danger of shipwreck, you know. Um, at one point, the winds stopped, and actually that became dangerous because of the waves, and it was drifting, and uh, <coughs> the captain came to the point and says, we've done everything we've could, we, we could, now we have to wait. All we can do is wait. There's nothing else we can do. But Hudson Taylor said, no, there's something else we can do. We can ask God to intercede. And so he asked three Christians to go down below deck and pray with him. Um, and then this is what he says. He says, I had a brief season of prayer and then felt so satisfied that our request was granted that I could not continue asking. Isn't that interesting? Huh? And so then he went, he stopped praying. He says, you know, I, I, I shouldn't pray anymore. And so he asked, he's instructed an officer to lower the sails for the winds which surely come. No sign of wind anywhere. Still as brass. And uh, suddenly the winds came just as promised. And it went on, you know. Now the question is, this is a, a good short illustration to ask this question. The question is, how did Taylor know what would happen? How did Taylor know what would happen? How did he know that the winds would surely come? How did he know to the point that he stopped praying 
because he had such certainty that God would answer that prayer. I remember years ago, I, I used to be a pastor in Northern California many years ago, and I remember a, a sister came to me one day and said, Pastor, I need to pray with you. I really need to pray with you. And she was, she was a godly woman. And we prayed, and she really had a burden. She had a burden for her two young teenage sons, for their salvation. And she says, I can't, you know, her husband was not quite engaged, uh, you know, as a Christian. At that point, he later became so. And uh, we prayed for a long time. We must have prayed for about an hour and a half, just the two of us. She had such a burden for those boys. And you know what? At one point, we stopped, and she says, Pastor... I'm, I'm done. We're finished. God has assured me that he has heard my prayer. And those boys will be okay. Many years later, I had a chance to see her. And sure enough, those boys are okay. Not only are they okay, they're very actively engaged in the church. But at that time, one of them was really, really going through very difficult times. How would we know? How would they know? Well, the answer to that is Hudson Taylor could recognize the voice of God. And so did this lady. She could recognize God when he spoke and said, everything will be okay. Who is this guy? Moses, right? And this is Jeremiah. And this is, uh, no, that's Jeremiah. And the other one is probably... That's Isaiah, and I can't quite remember who I have in mind for that one. Moses is the one up there because he's looking from Mount Nebo, you know, over to the Promised Land. Oh, Ezekiel, that's that. <laughs> All right, Ezekiel. Um, big time prophets, right? Yeah. Biggest prophets you have in the Old Testament, basically. Jeremiah, big book. Isaiah, big book. Ezekiel, big book. You've memorized them all, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Yeah, just without thinking. Yes. <laughs> uh, and Moses. Okay, big books. Five books. Who are these people? What do we, what do we call them? Prophets. They are bona fide prophets. You can't be more prophets than those guys are. Hmm? Big books. Lots of visions. Important messages. Key to the people of Israel. Who are these people? Who is that one? Abraham. That's Abraham. Samuel. Samuel. Who is that one? Elijah. And? Daniel. Daniel. Right. Right? Okay. Very good. You know your Sabbath school uh, uh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> These are also people whom God spoke to, but they are not prophets. Does that surprise you? Not technically. There's a difference between the first four and the last four. These first four are what the Bible calls Nabim. Nabim is, Nabim is plural in, in Hebrew. Nabi is a seer. Somebody who really sees visions. And it's always at this, 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 uh, in this dimension with God that is supernatural. That is the Nabim, okay? There's a number of Nabim in, uh, in the Bible. But the last four are not technically Nabim. Samuel was a judge. That was his job description. That's what he did for a living, all right? He was also a priest, but he was a judge. 
Abraham was a patriarch. Daniel was a civil servant and Elijah was a reformer. That's what they did. That's what they did full time. That's what, that's what their job was, right? And yet, God spoke to them just as much as the big prophets. God not only speaks to his prophets, and so here's the first lesson. God not only speaks to his prophets, he also speaks to his people. Sometimes we have this idea that God will speak to us supernaturally or otherwise only if we have that, if we are in that group of people. Or we have the idea that it can only happen to those group of people in, this, in that way and with us it's going to be simply impressions or something like that. Or something that we read from the spirit of prophecy or something. But that God does not go beyond that with any regular mortal like us. Well, those people were regular mortals. Abraham, how did you think about it? He was 75 years old when he left Ur of the Chaldeans. Why? Why did he leave? Why did he do such a radical thing? It's not radical for us to move about the country, to leave family back and so forth. That was radical at the time of Abraham. No one ever left their family circle. What you knew, normal people, 99.9% .9 of the people, knew enough uh, within 10 miles of their, of, their, of their birth, and that's all they knew. Some merchants, you know, sometimes they would go, you know, and obviously kings and soldiers. But aside from that, people just stick, stuck around. Abraham moves across the galaxy, as far as he is concerned. Why? Because he had a better job opportunity? Because things got sour in order of the Chaldeans? Because the rest of the family moved that way and so he wanted to be there? Because they had better hospitals in Canaan? No, because God said so. And he heard God. And, and how do you know it was God who spoke to you, Abraham? After all, what we're talking about is he's not an Israelite at this point. You realize this? Abraham is not an Israelite. He's not, he's not a people of God, quote unquote. He is a Babylonian. Which is an interesting thing. That's why in Revelation 14 and Revelation 18, again, God for the last time calls people out of Babylon. He started with that process with Abraham, calling them out of Babylon, and he finished. He'll finish that. Well, he, he must have communed with God. He must have, he must have uh, connected with God in such a way that he was able to discern God's voice as that voice and say this is because this is a radical thing it's a radical radical thing it's not normal there is no history about this there's no uh, examples before it so what he did was on the sheer basis that he heard God's voice God not only speaks to his prophets he also speaks to his people a few texts what I tell you in the darkness, Jesus said to his disciples, <clears throat> speak in the light. And what I, when you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Matthew 10, 27. 
Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man, etc., etc. In other words, Jesus expects us to hear his voice. Or in Luke 12, verses 1, uh, 11 and 12. When they bring you before the rulers and authorities, do not become anxious about how or what you should speak in your defense or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. In other words, you'll have to have a developed ear. You, the assumption is your ear will understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you. Uh, here's another text from John 12. Father, glorify thy name. There came a voice from heaven. A voice from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. This is right before, you know, within the week or so of his crucifixion. The multitude therefore, you know, this was, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was either Tuesday or Wednesday before his crucifixion, okay, uh, in John 12. Uh, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. That's what the voice said, the voice of the Father, right? The multitude therefore who stood by and heard it were saying that it had what? Thundered. Now, why would they interpret the voice of God as thunder? They didn't understand it. They did not understand it. In fact, you have several references in Scripture about that. Uh, at, the, at the foot of Mount Sinai, remember God speaking? And who was the only one that actually understood? God spoke the commandments from the mountain, and only Moses and Joshua understood it. For everybody else, it was a, it was a foreign language. Hmm? Uh, when God spoke at the baptism of Jesus on the Jordan, in the Jordan, who understood that voice? And John the Baptist. And that was it. Nobody else. It's interesting. Those who do not have their, their ear tuned to God, when they hear God, all they hear is noise, is thunder, but nothing very distinct. Huh? We'll come back to that. Jesus answered and said, This voice, this voice of the Father, has not come for my sake, but for your sake. So God intends to speak to you and me, but many times we cannot listen, we cannot hear. We're unable, and what we hear is indistinct to us. Even though God intends to actually makes sense to us when he speaks. Maybe this was applicable 2,000 years ago, you may say. The disciples heard Jesus because he was literally and physically with them. Right? That would be easy. Is the notion that God literally speaks to us a scriptural truth applicable at all times? Is it applicable in the 21st century? Is it applicable in 2008 and nine? Have you heard of Brother Andrew? You've heard of Brother Andrew, right? How many of you have? Okay. You need to, those of you who didn't raise your hands, you need to get a book called... What is God Smuggler. God Smuggler is probably one of the, the classic stories of the Christian faith in the last uh, 50 years. And it's about, this guy is a can-do guy. You know, you, get a lot, you like it. You know, that's a, this guy should have, this guy would have been an officer in GYC. You know, if he had known better. Um, he's a can-do guy. He really, uh, he, he did a lot of work uh, beyond the, the Iron Curtain. That's what you see the, 
this is this is the Iron Curtain when it used to be before some of your time you know 1990 everything crumbled but before that all of this was Eastern Europe and it was prohibited to have Bibles and to proselytize and do Christianity thing well he got millions of those there many times he was arrested he was under you know all kinds of things he was he was talking one time beyond the the Iron Curtain a few years ago I think it was in the Czech Republic at that time and he was sharing how God was speaking to people to Jeremiah and how Jeremiah answered and how Jeremiah was working on behalf of God and somebody a brand new Christian this is it you got to you got to imagine this you know we we grow up in a in a Christian nation you know many of us are Adventists by birth and so all of this is so familiar to us this guy had knew nothing but atheism right and now he has become a Christian and everything is life everything is different and so he hears uh, brother Andrew say that God spoke to Jeremiah and he shuts up you know he stands up in the back of the room and shouts if the word of the Lord can come to Jeremiah it can come to me too Amen. he made the immediate connection that's a, a Holy Spirit moment you know the immediate connection well he did this 800 years before Christ he can do the same thing with me a great revelation how about Adventists does he speak to Adventists today uh, I'm sure that you have heard of Jim Holmberger how many have or read some of his books more hands well good you know he has that story there about his friend Tim Walters or Tom Tom he had done repairs he had done re repairs on Friday afternoon he had to wash the van and put his screwdriver uh, back in the pocket in his pocket because he wanted to wash the van and then put it put the tools away to get ready for Sabbath but as he did that as he put his screwdriver in the back of his pocket a voice behind him said put that screwdriver away first say how could that be God I mean why would God be interested in my screwdriver but but the voice came a second time now it would be more of a it would be a little inconvenient because he you know he wanted to do that after he washed the, the van and then 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 he would have to walk back and, and put all that away but the voice was so certain that he he did it he put it away and then um, after that he jumped in the van opened the door and jumped in and then he realized why because if he had jumped in the van with a screwdriver in his pocket in his back pocket he would have ruined the upholstery he would have ruined his pants and he could have hurt himself and it, it is really a significant little story because God with somebody like Tom Walters he is so used to engaging with God that God allows himself the privilege of telling him such quasi-insignificant things. Why? Because he knows he's going to listen. He's going to listen. And so he avoids that trouble. For some of us, we would have gone through all of that. And God, you could imagine God up there saying, you know, I could have told you that, but I knew you would not listen, so... Could God speak to you today? Does he actually speak to us individually like we'd expect friends and family to speak to us? 
this is a comedian, and she put it interesting in, with an in interesting way. Why is it that when we speak to God, we are said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we are said to be schizophrenic? <laughs> That's true, you know, because when says, you know, God told me, he says, okay, maybe. <laughs> Part of the reason may be because uh, people who do a lot of claiming about hearing God's voice, uh, uh, they reveal choices and behaviors that, that is not consistent with what God already says in print. See, what God says in voice is always consistent with what he says in print. And we have, and I'll, I, I, I'll go ahead and even mention it, we have a lot of charismatic, the charismatic movement. My second doctoral degree is on the Holy Spirit and, and Ellen White's uh, role in that. And, and, and uh, so I've had to read a lot and learn a lot about that. You know, the fastest, the fastest uh, growing Christian movement in the last 2,000 years is not the first, Christ, the, the, the first uh, century Christian church. That's the second fastest. The fastest one is the charismatic movement that began January 1, 1901. In a hundred years, there's over 600 million adherents 600 million in 100 years alone. That is one-third, nearly one-third of the entire Christian body. All right? A lot of those people want and look and long for the supernatural. So they're predisposed to hearing from God. But sometimes what they do, it's not consistent with Scripture. And so the rest of us say, well, you know, I'm not sure God really speaks to us. Because when we hear people that say that, it doesn't seem to, you know, a few years ago, Oral Roberts is a famous uh, charismatic preacher, uh, was famous a few years ago when he declared that God told me to raise $16 million from all of you. And the mainstream press picked up on that and they just had a field day with that because mainstream press is not religious and so this is news to them. And uh, of course, it was to, you know, it was clear that God may have not said anything like that, but he preached it that way. This is what God told me, and you need to respond to that, you know. We'll talk about when God says something, and, and whether you need to say that same thing to others or not, etc. It is clear from history and experience that Satan speaks loudest. Ellen White says that in... in uh, in 1 SM 128, in, in uh, First Selected Messages 128, that Satan speaks loudest when there is revival in town. His whole objective is to confuse and discourage. So when God is really at work, the devil is also at work, very, very, very much at work. So it is reasonable to doubt sometimes or to really wonder whether it is God who's speaking. The last session we're going to have is going to really bring it together. We're going to talk about Abraham being told by God to sacrifice his son. How did he know that it was God when the only people that sacrificed sons at that time were satanic idolaters? So how did he know it was God? So we're going to explore all that whole story um, the last time. And so the devil tries to do that. Whenever God is showing up, he really tries to get his paws in there to confuse the situation. 
So it's, it's normal for us to be somewhat skeptical or, 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 or guarded about this. Why don't we hear the voice of God? This is a good man. He's a, he's a, he's a philosopher in USC. Uh, he's also a Baptist minister from the conservative Baptist uh, group. And I had the chance, let me tell you this, for the sake of credibility, I met with him one time in 1991 with, uh, while I was doing one of my doctoral classes. And you know what he said to me? One of the first things he said, I mean, he said, he's one of those guys that you listen to and says, this guy must have read Ellen White because he just, his language <laughs> and his thought processes, you know, he's really profound and very biblical. The first thing, you know, he didn't even raise his head up. You know, we were just eating together and says, you know, I introduced myself and so forth. And he says, you're an Adventist. He says, I have met a lot of Adventists who do not read the spirit of prophecy. That's the first thing out of his mouth. <laughs> and I said, are you acquainted with the spirit of, I mean, he said the spirit of prophecy. So I said, you know, that's, that's Adventist lingo, right? <laughs> and... Uh, and I said, yes, yes, I have several of Ellen White's books. And I have found them to be astounding, astonishing, something like that, he said. Just amazing. He said, um, there's a lot of wisdom in what that woman said. And I'm surprised that you guys don't have these things memorized. That's one of the things he said. Well, anyway, he wrote a book on hearing God's voice and he says perhaps we do not hear the voice because we do not expect to hear it. We do not expect to hear it. So that's the problem with many of us. Sometimes we expect to hear it everywhere and we're really disappointed and we think that God is speaking everywhere and, and, and most of that is not God. It's our mind or whatever you know. We're going to try to sort it out. Um, other times, we don't expect it. Sometimes, because we expect it to hear God, and we don't, it doesn't seem to work, and so we stop expecting it, right? But listen to what he says, because this is a very important reason why it doesn't happen. He says, then again, perhaps we do not expect it because we know that we fully intend to run our lives on our own and have never seriously considered anything else. Wow. Do you see what it's saying? It's saying, I'd like to hear from God, but I'd like to have the last word anyway. Or, I, or I'm not sure, if, even if God were to tell me this, I would go back and say, well, God, I'd like to have a second opinion. Because I'm not really willing to accept that. I, or I, it's, that's not part of my paradigm. It, it, I've not really thought it. I've not bought into it. So God many times may not speak to us simply because He knows we're not going to do anything about it. And God is not in the God is in a very efficient God. He's not in the business of wasting a lot of His time and resources. He, if you're not going to listen, He is going to hold back and try to work in other ways. Listen to this statement, Isaiah 65 verse 12. I called, but you did not answer. That's what God said to Israel. All of these years, I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not hear. And chose that in which I did not delight. And that's why, Israel, you got in trouble. That's why the Babylonian captivity. That's why all the misery for several hundred years 
of captivity under various uh, empires, etc. Let's go to John 10. Open your Bibles. In John 10, let's uh, look through that. By the way, I, I have enough. Th these, uh, these seminars are usually about an hour and 15 minutes, so uh, it's going to be tight to do in, in, uh, in, in 60 minutes. But if there is something that is a, a burning question you have or clarification, please ra raise your hand and, uh, and I'll be happy to deal with that, okay? John 10. You like that sheep, those sheep? That's taking... Uh, I was in Israel. I didn't take that picture, but it was something very similar that I took uh, on the outskirts of Jerusalem. These are Palestinians. There's a Palestinian um, shepherd. John 10. In uh, verse, you know that John 10 talks about the good shepherd. It talks about how he enters by the door uh, of the sheep, verse 2. And the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep, verse 3 says, hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because, because of what? They know his voice. And a stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him. Why? Because they do not know the voice of strangers. It's interesting that the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is based on the voice of the shepherd. Sheep do not follow the shepherd because they recognize the shepherd visually. Sheep do not follow the shepherd because they can smell the shepherd and says, you have, you know, like a dog, you know, you know, we all have our own smell and the dogs can determine that. Sheep follow shepherds because of the voice of the shepherd. And it is interesting, we are called to be God's sheep, right? We are sheep. And so, on the basis of that, we ought to be able to follow God, to recognize His voice. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow because they do not know the voice of strangers. Everything around the voice. So, not only does God speak to his prophets, he also speaks to his followers. He speaks to his followers. He speaks to regular sheep. And you remember what Jesus said about sheep, right? In Matthew 9, he said, they are confused. They, they're upturned. Sheep are very dumb. It's not a compliment that God calls us sheep. Uh, you know, sheep are... They, they do group behavior. They, you know, this is what happens with sheep. You know, you know the body of sheep. A regular sheep, you know, big fat sheep like this. You've seen the legs of the sheep? Little sticks. Little sticks like this. So you, you, you think about the aerodynamics. Big, fat, round body. Little sticky legs. <laughs> right? Extremely agile. 
Have you seen sheep, you know, leap like gazelles? No, you haven't. <laughs> of course you haven't. Have you seen sheep, uh, you know, strength in, uh, you know, have you seen them run real fast? Sheep are the most, I can't do anything type animal there is. And when they go out to the pasture, they just nibble away, they nibble away, they nibble away, they nibble away. Every once in a while, they raise their head and say, oh, where's the shepherd, where's the shepherd, where's the shepherd? And they hear the voice, okay, I'm okay. We nibble away, nibble away, nibble away. That's really, that's all their lives. That's it. That's it. And then after a while, they say, well, it's getting hot here. And the shepherd says, okay, I'll take your coat off. And so, you know. Uh, but that's what sheep do. Unless, and sometimes sheep, what they do is they nibble away because there's something green and they don't, you know, they, they have bad eyesight by the way, really poor eyesight. That's why um, uh, wolves and other predators really take advantage of them because they're very close to the sheep and they still do not know. It's like, oh, are you, oh, 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 you know, <laughs> yeah, you're, going, you're coming to eat me, right? And so it... That's a sheep, right? But sheep, sometimes they nibble away until all of a sudden they find themselves to be away from the flock because they just went after that little green pasture thing and then, oh, where's everybody? Huh? And if they get into rocks, that's not like rams or goats. Rams or goats, they can do, they are really comfortable in rocks and mountains. They, they just climb over anything. Not sheep. Not sheep. And when a sheep is in a mountain or something and falls, it's over. You know, it's over. Think about it, all right? I want you to visualize this. A sheep lying down. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 9. He saw them a sheep without a shepherd. Look it up in verse 35. He says, they are upturned. That's what it says in the Greek. In other words, here's the body. Here's the legs. Okay? Have you ever seen those bugs, those, uh, what are they called? Those, those hard uh, black bugs, you know, sometimes they are upturned. And you see their legs going like this. Then they don't know what to do. It's like, help, help, help. Well, that's a sheep. Okay? When the sheep turns over, in about three or four hours, five or six hours, they will die. Why? Because of that position creates so, uh, such upset with their internal gases and, and all of this stuff that unless a shepherd goes and turns it back on its legs again, it's a goner. And you know, other sheep are not going to be much help. You know, says, please help me, please. And I says, well, I don't know what to do. Um... I like to call for the shepherd, but they don't know how to whistle. They don't know how to, you know, make a big noise about anything. They don't know how to go back and say, you know, like a dog will go back to his owner and says, you know, I know where they are. Sheep don't know. They get lost. That's us. That's us. No wonder Jesus says, oh, they need a lot of help. A lot of help. And so, but the one thing that the sheep does is the sheep develops an ear for the shepherd. And the sheep says, as long as I can hear the shepherd, I'm going to be okay. When I lose, when, I, when I'm out of range, when I can't hear him anymore, I'm in trouble. And we are like sheep. 
What does what a shepherd ask according to the text? The shepherd calls his sheep by name. By name. He knows exactly where you are, what you're going through, what is the makeup of your own life. What did the sheep do? The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. That's what they do. They do that. They hear. Alright? What does the shepherd do? The shepherd leads them out of their sheep fold. That's what he does. He, and that's an equivalent that takes, God takes us. He guides us. He, he takes us away and confront the world out there, right? To what we need to do, what we need to face. What do the sheep do with that? They follow the shepherd's voice. They do not follow the shepherd's heels. They follow the shepherd's voice. And so they need to really keep hearing the voice of the shepherd. What does the shepherd do? According to the text, the shepherd goes before the sheep. So those three verses tell us these three things. The shepherd does three things. The sheep does three things. The shepherd goes before the sheep for protection. In other words, so, so as to see if there is any, any problems, anything they can get in trouble with. What does the sheep do when the shepherd goes before? The sheep do not follow a stranger's voice. In fact, the sheep, sheep do not follow another shepherd's voice. You may have... In a sheepfold, in ancient times, you would have a sheepfold. You may have 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 sh uh, shepherds in flocks, different flocks. And all these sheep all mixed together. It was easy to do that. It was less expensive to do that. Out in the morning, here I'm a shepherd. In the morning, I got 50 of those 800 sheep are mine. How am I going to know... Which ones they are? Well, I may know. But the point is, when I opened the sheepfold, I called them. And they recognized my voice. And only those 50 sheep will come out. The other ones will not come out. Because that would be following a stranger's voice. And they do not follow a stranger's voice. They only follow their shepherd. I know his voice. That's what a sheep then says. I know God's voice. That is probably one of the most profound statements any Christian could ever say. You know what? I don't do this. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough for this. I don't do that. But I know his voice. Whoa, that is a mouthful right there. In other words, I know where to go. I know what needs to happen. I know what, what I need to do on a daily basis because I know his voice. And what does the shepherd say? I know your name. That's what the shepherd says to us. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said in verse 11 of that same chapter. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That is, as far, that is how much he, he loves us. So God knows your name and he calls your name for a reason. Because God does not only talk to his prophets, he speaks to his followers. And that includes you and me. Why? Why does he do that? This is a picture of uh, my wife and I. This sweet lady. She is a sweet lady. She is a precious person. We've been married almost 27 years. When we were dating, there was no email. Yeah, we're old. Um, no internet, no cell phones, nothing. We had an, only a phone. And sometimes we'd be on the phone three or four hours. Some Saturday nights, 
we'd get on the phone because we'd have to go to our dorms, our respective dorms. You know, we had different dorms. Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, and, uh, and so we'd get on the phone as soon as we got to the dorm. Again, because we wanted to continue this conversation. So we'd get on the phone at 10 o'clock at night. And sometimes we, start, we, we, we went on talking until 5 or 6 in the morning. Can you believe that? You say, who would have, where do you find subjects to talk about for eight hours after you already talked about for three? You know, you know what, you know, what kind of a life do you have? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, why? Because you're in love. You're in love with one another. And it doesn't matter what you talk about. What you want to do is just to talk. You know, she went as a student missionary. I graduated, I'm three years older, so I graduated. And I went to work as a pastor in Northern California. And she went as a student missionary. And I thought that was the end of life. Because I knew, she went to Brazil. And I knew Brazilians. I knew South Americans. I, I, I was born and raised in, in Argentina. I know about how the guys work. And she, <laughs> and she was an innocent Girl from Iowa. I mean, you know, <laughs> no clue. And so I said, Hunt, we, you know, I, we're not going to survive this year. I, I was quite pessimistic about it. She was very optimistic. She says, no, God's going to be with us and so forth. And I said, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> but she wrote to me almost every single day. Can you believe that? She wrote to me. Sometimes she would send me seven letters at a time, you know, and uh, to save postage. And, uh, and I, I'm not much of a writer. I'm not much of a writer, right? And I was busy. I was a youth pastor in a large church. And I was really busy. And I, I, you know, I, I worked 12 hours a day or more. And then, but I had money because now I was fully employed. And so I was no longer in college. I actually had a real job. And so uh, then the only real expenses I had... My rent was $125 a month. Uh, good, huh? Yeah, I thought, and I had a castle there. And then, uh, and I had bought a car, brand new car. That was my only expense. So I would call her. She's in Brazil. I'm going to call her. You don't have, I mean, now there's a zillion programs for cheap phone calls, you know, international phone calls, all that, you know, two cents here, five cents, yeah, you know, all that. Not then. Not then. That was... We're talking about ancient times. <laughs> One phone call, I spent over $300. $300. But there's no problem. Because I was talking with a girl I loved. I know. <laughs> but it is true. It really is true. And this really, this is the kind of a thing that God wants to do with us. He wants, to, he wants us to develop such intimate relationship with Him that we just can't wait to hear His voice. Even today, I tell her, I love her, you know, I know her voice instantly, right? If she were to call me in, that, in this cell phone where, you know, sometimes you, know how you don't have a good connection and it cracks up and you barely can hear, I only need a half a syllable from her to recognize her voice. That's all I need. I know it's her. Because I've heard it so many times. I know what she sounds like. I know the t tone range. I know when it is her. 
That's what God wants to do with us. That's how He wants to relate to us. <clears throat> God knows your name and calls your name for a reason. Does God just want to talk? Communication is the beginning of what God wants to do with this process of, of talking with you, of sharing with you, of connecting with you. Communication is the beginning, but it's not the end. Yes, God does want to talk, but God wants to do more than that. God's, God's, God wants to go from communication to communion. He wants us to engage at a deeper, deeper level. Communication is necessary to lead us to communion. But communion is not the end all of what God expects or wants to see happen in our lives. He eventually wants us to get to union with Him. And when you think about this, this is a good, this is a, these are three excellent words in English because it's easy to remember. When you think about it, everything within this, each of the categories has the one component of union. Communication, communion, union. Everything God wants to do with us is intended to take us to this point. To be one with Him. To be so thick with the Almighty that there would be, people would be hard pressed to separate us from who God is. But communication is the first, is first base. And many times we have a hard time getting to first base, but communication is only the first base. He wants to continue with communion. Uh, let me tell you a story of Harry Mahundo. How many of you have heard or read about Harry Mahundo? Some of you have. He's a worldwide evangelist from Zimbabwe. Uh, it's just an amazing person, you know. Zimbabwe is one of the strong Adventist countries. And um, over half a million Adventists there. He uses no advertising. He raises man money for stadiums in a very string budget, you know. Uh, he asks former Adventists to put money because many of them are, you know, they're former because they got you know, into business and they got money and now they've forgotten the church and so forth. And now he asks them, says, God wants to do something important through you. Uh, and, and they actually give him money. Um, the attendance in his meetings increases every night. You know, most of, some of you are experienced with evangelistic meetings. Um, you know that usually opening night is your best attended meeting, right? And then people say, well, that's not what I was looking for. And so they start dropping out. Well, in his case, his best night is always the last one. And his worst night is always the first one. Now that is remarkable. You know what that means, right? That means that the, the 3,000 people that came opening night, by the way, yeah, it's, it's a lot of people to begin with. 3,000 people that came on opening night will bring another 1,000 the next night. And another 3,000 uh, or 5,000 by the next week. So from 3,000, they often end up being 25,000 or 35,000 by the time he's done. And we're talking, that's why he rents stadiums. That's why he rents soccer stadiums to do this. And you can imagine a soccer stadium that would fit 30,000 people, 3,000 there, that's 110. So it looks pretty small then. But what they hear is so life-imparting that they go and bring other people. And so that's why it keeps increasing like that. He was doing a doctoral degree at, at Andrews uh, a few years ago. 
And anybody who's done a doctoral degree, you know that this takes a lot of time and concentration. Well, during that time, he committed to doing 17 meetings. And during those 17 meetings, while he was a full-time doctoral student, he baptized 25,000 people. He has amazing stories of answered prayer. One of them, for instance, he, he needed money to, to, uh, for this stadium. Uh, the money wasn't coming. It was $10,000. He had a, a series of meetings in South Africa. He was in Chicago at the airport. Some of you may have been there just recently. And he was in Chicago at the airport getting ready to go to South Africa. And he says the, he, had a, he had to stop over in New York, in, in JFK, before he went on. And he said, God, when he got to JFK, he said, God, I still do not have the money. This is the last opportunity I could get the money before I get there. If I don't have the $10,000, we'll have to cancel the meetings. So send somebody before I board the plane with $10,000. Five minutes later, somebody came and says, are you Harry Mahando? And he said, yes, this envelope is for you. And so he hands him an envelope, big fat envelope. And, uh, and he looks into that, and he finds $10,000 in cash. So he looks up to thank the man, to ask him, and of course he can't find him anywhere. There's nowhere to be found. Well, those kinds of stories. We're talking about a man who is thick with the Almighty, who really does amazing things. And uh, this is one of the reasons why. He meets with God from 3 to 7 in the morning many times for about three or four hours, every single day. These are some of the questions that he asks God. It's interesting that he considers this time as a dialogue time, not simply a time when he's going to read from Scripture or when he's going to pray to God and not listen from God. And he asks God these questions, some of the questions. This is according to his biographer. What plans do you have for my life, he says. Or whom should I approach with the good news that you love them and have sent your son to save them? In other words, who do you want me to save today? Who, who do you have in mind? Put me in tune with that person. What areas of my life do you want me to change? Now that's somebody who loves somebody else. When you say, what do you want me to change? What would, you, what would, what would make your life easier if I changed that? And the last one that gets to me all the time, is there anything I can do for you? I remember Mark Finley preaching that, a sermon in GYC about four years ago, talking about what makes Jesus happy. And, and the fact that Jesus, I mean, God sees a lot of misery in this world. Why not do something that will make him happy? Here's that type of a question. What can I do for you? What can I do to, make, to bring a smile to your face, God? Now listen to the biographer. He says, after spending 60 to 90 minutes asking God what to do, then he spends an hour reading scripture. He's read it over 40 times. And then, I quote from the biographer, this is the time God speaks back to him. Much of the treasure that Mahandras mined from the Bible and preached in his meetings is evidenced by the choice of rarely cited passages. In other words, the ore, the wisdom uh, that, that is encapsulated in Scripture that can only be perceived when you're in such communion with God, when you really see much more than it is just in front of your nose. That happens when you really 
commune with God. He not only, he's a man who has gone beyond communication, he is communing with God, he is, he is united with God. But communication is something that he needs to do on a daily basis. Ministry of Healing, page 58, I'm finishing. All who are under the training of God need the quiet hour for communion with God. We must individually hear him speak into the heart. This is an important statement. Um, when every other voice is hushed and in quietness we wait before him, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. She says we must individually hear him speak into the heart. And I have a number of other statements from her, Desire of Ages and other places, that say basically the same thing. In other words, what God expects is that we would be able to hear him talk to us, just to us, distinctly, clearly, what should happen with our lives, what detour we should take, what road we should take on a daily basis, whether to go to the right or to the left. That is God's expectations. Back to um, Brother Andrew. He is a bold man of faith. He says, Our prayers have often degenerated into tedious recitations of wish lists instead of exciting two-way dialogues when strategic planning sessions with the Creator of the universe. We're not convinced that anything will happen, so it doesn't. No wonder we look for excuses to avoid it. Would any of us willingly spend even a few minutes a day with a friend who never responded to anything we said? And never lifted a finger to help us when we needed it. Well, it says that's the attitude sometimes we have with God. Therefore, we, we cannot hear his voice. We're not, we're not set up for that. That's a great little book, by the way. And God changed his mind. Um, if God's ultimate objective is union with him, prayer as we know it may not be what many of us think it might be. Prayer really is the process by which God helps us rearrange our priorities. Prayer really is a conversation with God. And that's really what it needs to become. If it will be, we'll talk more about that in the second session. This is what Jesus experienced. The reason to pray is not so much to tell God what we want, but to listen to what he wants to do in us. That was Jesus' attitude in prayer every time. Every time. And no wonder when the disciples finally caught him praying one day, this is God, teach us, Jesus, teach us to pray. Because evidently, by comparison, we have no clue. We really do not know how to pray. But you're having this wonderful conversation with your father. So, to cap it off, he first wishes to establish relational communication with us. How does he do that? I mean, this is the lesson from John 10. The sheep hear his voice. That's the, that's the first step. Secondly, this is, not, this is only a means to an end. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. In other words, it's not just a sheep saying, Oh, that was, that was the master's voice. That was the shepherd's voice. That's interesting. No. The sheep hear his voice in order to follow the shepherd. Huh? So there is a reason for that, not just to hear the voice. And then God's ultimate objective is total identification, union with him. So to the point that we would not follow any other voice whatsoever. And we will be able to, Ellen White says that at the time of the end, the Spirit of God is going to be falling all over the place. But people will not be able to discern that. Or they will follow false revivals in the false spirit because they're not, they have not really distinguished the true voice of God from that of a stranger. 
Remember that text in Revelation 3.20 that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. Have you ever thought about this? We have this picture and we think that the reason you're going to open, we're going to open the door is because he knocks. That's not the reason. That's not the reason. The reason is because we hear his voice. It is not the knocking that will make us open the door. It is the listening to his voice. So the knocking, it can be the devil knocking for all we know. But when we hear the voice, and only if we are used to that voice, will we then open the door and let him come in. Oh, I have a great story, but uh, it's, our time is over. A great story here. Go ahead and tell the story, huh? Well, I'll tell you, it's short. You know, I fly quite a bit, a lot, in fact. This year we'll end up flying almost 200,000 miles. You know how many times that is? That's four times around the globe. That's a lot of time. I fly mostly on Delta. I was, I was going to Portland about a year ago, and I had to speak to a group of leaders there. And I, <coughs> I discovered there was a miscommunication in that I needed to present one more presentation than what I had in mind. And so I got on the plane and I prayed. This is what I prayed. I'll be honest with you. I prayed, God, help me sit. I mean, don't let anyone sit next to me who wants to talk. I need to really work. I have four hours to crank up a presentation. And I need that time. I was there first and, and I sat down and I was with my computer open. And by and by, one of the last persons that got in the plane was an 84-year-old lady who had difficulty walking, Amanda, and she sat next to me. And immediately, you could tell the, the, the body language, she wanted to talk. <laughs> she looked at my computer, she looked at me, you know, and, you know, and she was, you know, and I was just kind of mum, you know, just... And then finally she says, my name is Amanda. I'm just coming from Guam. You know, what am I going to say? <clears throat> okay, whatever. You know, I'm not going to say that. So <clears throat> I, I said, oh, well, that's interesting. I'm Ron and, you know, and, and so we started talking. But I did, not, I did not show a lot of interest. You know, I kept kind of, yeah, okay, but, you know, looking at this. And then, and then eventually I said, you know, this is not going to work out. It's just not going to work out. And so I, I decided to talk with God about that again, because, you know, did we miss something? <laughs> and just when I was getting ready to say something to God, I hear this voice, impression if you want, saying, listen to her. Listen to her. Now, my wife says that to me often. <laughs> she's a counselor, and she's really good at listening. I'm a preacher. I'm good at speaking, but not listening. Um, Listen to her. And so I did. For the next three and a half hours, she told me everything about her. 
you know, she had just come from, uh, well, she was in Guam before that, but she came from Texas where one of her grandsons got married. He was a Navy guy. He lived in, in Alaska. She told me all about her, his new wife, he told me about her daughter and all the, you know, divorces she went through and all the struggles in the cancer that she got to. And in, in, in the, the, she told me about the 40 years she, she worked as a civil servant. She told me about how she, she, she did, uh, she was one of the first nutritionists that worked for the government. She told me about, you know, how she worked until she was, she was uh, uh, 80 or so. I mean, in fully employed until she was 80, and now she can't walk very well and all that. All of that, all of that. I mean, when we landed, finally Amanda says, Oh my, we're here. I don't know anything about you. I, I've, I've just monopolized the whole thing. Tell me about your life. And I said, oh, it's not that important. And, and uh, I said, you know, this is so fascinating. It really, it really was a fascinating life. And I listened, you know, and I would ask questions so that you could tell me more and all that. Forget this presentation. I just said, well, whatever, you know. And, uh, but you know what happened? When we were getting ready to deplane, <clears throat> a lady who was across the aisle, grabs me because we had to wait for her because she needed a, a wheelchair and all that. And I, I got all her stuff with me, you know, getting ready to haul it all out and all that. But, and then a lady came to me away from her and she said, she, she had tears in her eyes. And she said, sir, I don't know you and you don't know me. I'm a social worker and I work with older people. And, and what I saw during this flight really restored my faith in humanity. She said, that's how she put it. He says, so few people pay attention to older people. And you really paid, it was clear to me that you were busy and you really paid attention to her. I want to thank you. I mean, she just profusely shook my hand. I want to thank you because you restored my faith in humanity. That lady will never forget this. And then when we finally deplaned, <coughs> she was there in the, you know, I've, I found her. She was in the wheelchair waiting for her stuff, and I brought it to her. She, she got a hold of me. She, she grabbed my hand like this, you know, and she pulled me down and gave me a big hug and a kiss. And she says, you're such a nice guy, she said. He said, thank you so much because you really listened, and I needed somebody to listen to me today. And I thought to myself, at least two people were tremendously blessed. Why? Because when God said simply this, listen to her. That's what he said. Listen to her. If I had ignored that, if I had ignored that, those two people would have never been blessed the way they were. And I wouldn't have been blessed for having been used to God to do that very simple thing. And you know what happened later? What happened later is that the presentation that I was supposed to do was postponed by one day and I had all the time in the world to do that anyway. And that is something that God knew, but He was not telling me. He simply was telling me, just listen to her now. God not only speaks to His prophets, He also speaks to His friends in order to make friends. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this time to explore the whole concept of your talking to us and being willing to share with us. Lord Jesus, we want to be like sheep who really develop an ear to, to hear the shepherd. And we pray that you help us, Lord, to come to you 
and to, and to listen to you and to ask you that you speak to us and that you develop in us a desire to hear you distinctly above anything else in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.